0: Hello, and welcome back to another episode of A Pinch of Prevention. Today, we are super excited to be here with you, finally, from our hometown, Evansville. We're looking out over the majestic Ohio River. Um, But before we start this episode, we'd like to give a quick trigger warning. This episode is going to include mentions of domestic violence, sexual assault, and rape. Um, if you are experiencing any form of abuse, please do not hesitate to contact the National Domestic Abuse Hotline. That number is 1-800-799-7233. And if you live anywhere in the southwestern Indiana um, kind of area, Albion Fellows Bacon Center is our local right crisis center and their number is 812-422-5622. And lastly, RAIN is the Rape and Incest National Network, and you can find their number at 1-800-656-4673. Now, on to the episode. We hope you enjoy. Today,
1: Catherine and I will be interviewing Emily Hall, who is the Deputy Prosecutor for Sexual Assault Cases in Vanderburgh County. Emily, thank you so much for meeting with us today. To begin, would you like to introduce yourself?
2: Sure. Um, I am the Deputy Prosecuting Attorney um, in Vandenberg County. I handle all of the sex crimes, so um, adult and juvenile crimes. Um, I have probably about 40 cases or so that are pending right now. Um, Everything from sexual battery, which is the lowest level felony that we have in Indiana, all the way to um, level one child molest or rape resulting in serious bodily injury. Um, I've been at this job for about seven and a half years, doing sex crimes for about two. I've handled all kinds of cases. Otherwise, everything from um, Walmart theft to murder and everything in between. Um, So the sex crimes has been probably the highlight. Um, It's been the most interesting, the most challenging, and definitely the most rewarding of all of them.
1: Okay. Okay. So um, to start off, could you walk us through how the process of reporting a sexual
2: assault or rape works, so the reporting up until court to verdict? Absolutely. So um, typically an individual who has been sexually assaulted, um, they can either call 911 to make the report. Um, They can go to Holly's House, which is an adult and child advocacy center here in Evansville, and that is where actually the sexual violence unit for the Evansville Police Department is based. So anyone can walk in there, see a police officer, and make a report. Um, You can also go to the emergency room if you're looking to get any type of treatment or medical attention, um, and you can let them know that you want to make a report to law enforcement. Um, At both of the hospitals here in Evansville, Deaconess and St. Vincent, there is an off-duty police officer that's always working um, so they're there and available to get other officers and any um, additional resources available there. So once the report is made um, an individual can decide how far they want to go with that. If they want to pursue criminal charges, um, they can if they want to just make the report and have that documented but not decide right away that they want to pursue charges, that option is certainly available to them. We kind of take their lead on how far they want to go with it. Um, Once they make the report, law enforcement does any type of follow-up investigation that they need to do. Any witnesses that they need to identify and interview, any photographs or evidence that needs to be collected, um, they go ahead and do all of that. If they can interview the suspect, they try to do that or at least time that strategically with collection of evidence. Um, They will also conduct an interview of the victim. Um, Typically that's done at Holly's house or in some type of other interview space um, or wherever the victim feels most comfortable and and most safe. Um, That interview is generally recorded because we'll use that for evidentiary purposes later on. Um, After the victim is interviewed and they've done all of the the investigation that they need to do, um, they either make the arrest of the suspect or perpetrator, if they need to, um, and they feel they have enough to go forward, and the victim is wanting to go forward, or they will send the file down to our office. Um, the prosecutor's office is the entity that actually files the criminal charges with the court system, um, and we represent the state of Indiana in doing that. Um, we don't necessarily represent the the victim or their survivor in particular, um, but we file charges on their behalf if that's what they wish to do. Once the charges are filed, um, an individual is seen by the judge, they are advised of the charges that are filed, they are advised of their constitutional rights, they are advised of the penalties for the crimes with which they are charged. Um, Then a bond is set, Um, so that's an amount of money that they can pay to get out of jail. Some individuals can post that, some individuals cannot. If they can't post it, they stay in jail. Um, which is usually probably the most comforting and safest for a lot of our survivors, um, giving them um, some peace of mind and some assurance that they're they're safe. Um, Once charges are filed, um, we are under some timelines and uh, the time clock is ticking against us. And we try to work out every case with a plea agreement if it's possible. Um, Sometimes it's not. Sometimes an individual is not willing to admit any responsibility. Uh, for their crimes or their actions. So in that case, we would have to go to trial. Um, If a plea agreement can be had, we do that in consultation with the victim. Uh, We try to make sure that he or she or they feel as um, as though they weren't totally gypped by the criminal justice system and they get they get some sense of closure and some sense of relief. Um, After that point, if we go to a trial, Um, we have to present the evidence. So if it's photographs, if it's video, we present that to a jury. Um, We have witnesses testify, we have the investigator testify, we also have the victim testify. Um, So their participation and cooperation is crucial um, at that stage. And the jury then makes their decision, guilty or not guilty. Um, I like to say that just because they vote not guilty doesn't mean they find someone innocent. It just means there wasn't enough proof to convince them beyond a reasonable doubt. Um, after that, if the jury convicts, then sentencing is set and a victim um, has actually a constitutional and statutory right in Indiana to appear at sentencing and to address the court and kind of speak their mind. Some individuals choose to do that, some don't. It's really a personal, personal decision. Um, if the jury finds them not guilty, then that's the closure of the criminal case.
0: Next, I'd kind of like to ask about rape kits. So what exactly is a rape kit? And if someone chooses to have one done, what happens to it?
2: So um, a victim or survivor of sexual assault can get a rape kit or a sexual assault kit done at um, either Deaconess here in Vandenberg County or St. Vincent here in Vandenberg County. There are a lot of other hospitals that have trained um, sexual assault nurse examiners. We call them SANE. Um, so a SANE will conduct an exam. Um, the exam is very victim or survivor driven. Um, the nurse will do as much or as little as the victim is comfortable with. Um, and the kit is essentially, it's, it's a package. It's a little box. It has different swabs and vials. Um, and basically, the swabs are for swabbing different areas of the body. The perpetrator may have touched or left uh, semen or DNA on, so the nurse will swab those areas. Um, Sometimes they will do other type of evidence collection, such as hair combings or scraping underneath the fingernails, Um, and the nurse is trained in what's the most effective way of collecting this evidence and what do we need to collect. Um, If this is an individual who has um, she reported, he or she reported scratching uh, the perpetrator, then the nurse will decide that's a good idea for us to get fingernail scrapings. Um, if they described no such type of struggle or force use, then they may not do the fingernail Because It really is, really just depends on the facts and circumstances, um, what type of activity or conduct occurred uh, to guide and lead their exam, and also what the victim is comfortable with. They will only go so far as the victim is comfortable with going.
0: So you mentioned that having a rape kit done is very much driven by the victim. Do victims who are minors, do they have like a harder time getting a rape kit done because they're underage and might need parental consent?
2: They do not need parental consent. They can Mm. report to any hospital um, to get one conducted. They do believe I have to get a name, and I do believe with a a juvenile who is reporting sexual assault at the hospital, um, because everyone in Indiana is a mandatory reporter of child neglect or abuse. The nurse does have to report to law enforcement that this juvenile is presenting for a sexual assault examination, Um, but if you are an adult, it's up to you as the victim and survivor if you want to report that to law enforcement. But they will absolutely see juveniles. Um, And, again, that will determine what type of examination they do and how far they go with that. Um, It's very not uncommon to see a lack of injuries um, with sexual assault in both children and adults, which is, I think, contrary to a lot of people's opinions. You might think I would – a lot of people assume Mm -hmm. they would – find injuries, or find tears or lacerations, and that's very much not the case. It's actually quite rare to find that. So
1: after a minor chooses to get a rape kit done, does it automatically go to prosecution? Like, do
2: they get a choice in that? They absolutely get a choice. Um, Once the nurse makes the report to either the Department of Child Services or to law enforcement, either way, both parties are going to get involved, typically. after the report is made by the nurse and DCS and law enforcement become involved, um, especially the older, the older juveniles, um, we take into consideration a great deal um, their mental health. Um, we also take into a great deal um, their safety. Uh, if we don't make an arrest and pursue charges, is this child going to be safe going forward? Um, And that's DCS's primary concern. That's also something we have to consider. So just because it's reported to law enforcement at the Department of Child Services does not necessarily mean we go straight into filing criminal charges and prosecuting.
1: Mm -hmm. Thank you for clearing that up. It makes a lot more sense to me now. Um, So I have another question. A lot of rape cases and sexual assault cases often go without conviction. What do you think are some obstacles that are causing this?
2: There are many. Um, The criminal justice system is not victim friendly. Um, There are some times where it feels very much anti-victim. Defendants have uh, certain rights, certain constitutional rights, and one of the big ones that we um, have challenges with is the right to confront uh, witnesses who are testifying against that individual. That can be an extremely traumatic experience for a survivor of sexual assault. Um, having to appear physically in a courtroom and sit on a witness stand in front of 12 to 14 jurors and a room full of strangers essentially and talk about some very intimate details Um, and probably one of the worst experiences of an individual's life. Um, They have to do it in front of strangers and they have to do it in graphic detail. Um, So a lot of individuals, uh, that is a very challenging and traumatic experience. Um, Also, the criminal justice system is not a quick system. It doesn't move fast. So the process of going from charges to a resolution of a case, that can be one to sometimes three years long. And for some individuals, um, the fact that it takes so long, they have to heal no matter what happens. They have to process and grieve and go forward with their life no matter what happens. So oftentimes um, when cases drag out so long, by the time it's coming up for a trial or we're going to need their testimony, they're in a good place in their life and in their healing process. So to testify would disrupt that a great deal. And they're not willing or ready or comfortable to slide back so much. Um, They've moved so far forward and they want to continue that momentum and continue going forward, which is incredibly understandable. Um, Also, a lot of people think of sexual assault or rape as a a stranger danger kind of crime, and that's not generally the case. It's usually a perpetrator that the survivor knows or has, in some cases, a relationship with, um, whether that be a family relationship or a friend relationship or a dating relationship. And so um, that can be an experience in and of itself navigating that relationship um, and how how that can, that can work.
0: So in your opinion, what types of things do you think need to be done to help to kind of amend these challenges? I mean, do you even think that there is a resolution or is the best way to
2: help just to do everything we can to support the victim? I think... Victim support is huge, um, but I also think there are some things that can be done um, within the system itself. Um, One of the things that I personally would like to see is a change in the rape statute. Um, There are only three ways that an individual can be charged with rape. The sexual act has to occur by force or the threat of force. The victim has to be unaware that the sex act is occurring or the victim has to be so mentally disabled or deficient that they cannot consent. And unfortunately, I have found no case law that would say that an individual who is intoxicated uh, reaches that mentally deficient or mentally disabled state. Um, So the primary two uh, charges that I see are by force or by um, the victim being unaware. And unfortunately, Force can be a very difficult thing to interpret or to find, Um, and it can be very subjective. And case law says that force is determined from the victim's point of view, but getting 12 people to understand that by making this statement or taking this action, the perpetrator was using the threat of force or forcing the victim to do this, even though it may not be a gun to that person's head. Uh, it may be something very different, it may look and feel very different than that, um, getting 12 people to understand that that was a forceful situation can be very difficult and challenging. Mm-hmm. So I think changing the way the statute is written can help and also, um, and I don't know the best way to go about this, but trying to educate people as much as pop- possible, the general public as much as possible um, about consent and, um, and how that can be interpreted and, and come into play.
0: Do you think that bias plays a role then? If, and educating
2: can maybe kind of be a resolution to that? I think bias absolutely comes into play. Um, it's kind of interesting. I think um, women can be very hard on other women. Um, I think a lot of people have in their minds, well, if that ever happened to me, this is how I would have handled it. And because the victim or survivor acted differently than that individual would have, they don't buy the victim story, or they don't think it's a crime. They don't think it rises to that level. Um, I also think that men can have that same bias just, just as well. Um, it's also difficult, um, for people to understand that there are individuals who live differently than they do. Um, rape and sexual assault and child molesting, they do not discriminate. Um, they don't care what your ethnic or racial background is they don't care how much money you make or your parents make or your family makes they don't care what side of town you live on um, they don't care what kind of education you have um, they affect everyone and they don't they don't discriminate at all so um, just because a victim might not present the way an individual would or a juror would want to see well she's she's got a drug history, or nah, I don't really like the way um, that he said that, or he looks, he just kind of kind of looks a little dingy, I don't know that I can believe what he's saying. Um, those are biases that very much exist and are very difficult to overcome, but hopefully education and um, a broader understanding of humanity um, could help, help with that.
1: So this question is kind of off topic, but do past charges from an offender weigh into a new case by the same
2: offender? It depends. Um, they can weigh into a new case, but not in um, not in front of a jury. So they weigh into a new case from the investigator's standpoint. This is somebody who's repeated this offense again. It weighs into my perspective of this person is presenting as a higher or um, more serious danger to the community because they're repeating this offense. Um, The court also would look at that at sentencing or just in negotiation, what's the appropriate thing to do? If they've been accused of this or charged with this previously, then that's concerning to everyone involved. However, the law does not allow us to present that information to a jury Um, except under some very limited circumstances. Um, We cannot introduce evidence of what we call prior bad acts. Um, If we're using that to say they did this before, that means they've done it again. We can use it to show, um, well, the facts are very similar, and in this case they're saying that this was a mistake, Um, they didn't know what they were doing, or... It would just kind of happened, and it was a complete mistake. Well, it's happened before, so they know that this is not a mistake. There are certain uh, circumstances in which we can use that information, but it's extremely limited and extremely difficult to get that kind of information in front of a jury because it is extremely prejudicial to the defendant. That's one of those situations, again, where it feels more pro-defendant than and anti-victim.
0: So one of the main reasons that victims may find themselves not reporting a sexual assault or a rape is because they feel like nothing, like they won't, the perpetrator won't face any consequence. Why do you think that despite this fear it's still important for people who have experienced sexual assault to come forward and tell someone about what
2: happened? For some individuals that can be part of the healing process overall. Um, I've had uh, young women in particular um, who have come into my office and said, I know that if we go to trial, we're going to lose. I understand that's the risk. However, I need to tell my story. And a lot of people have, you kind of look at going into the courtroom and testifying, I have to confront him or her. I have to be in the same room with that person, I have to see them, they have to see me, and I have to talk about this all over again in front of them, and that's um, a negative experience. However, um, it can be a flip side kind of experience. Think of it as your perpetrator has to sit there while you talk about something horrible that they did, and you are doing that and with a whole courtroom full of people looking at him oh, he's the person that did this, or she's the person that did this. So we can kind of flip it, flip that on its head a little bit. Yes, you're confronting your perpetrator, but your perpetrator also has to sit there and be judged and listened. The an offender is found innocent, does the public have any knowledge of his case? They do. So whether a case is dismissed um, by the court or by me, by the state of Indiana, or whether um, they're found not guilty at trial. Either way, um, those filings and those findings are public record. Um, It would be up to media outlets. Um, Sometimes there are particular cases um, that they follow if they are particularly heinous or gruesome or because the individual that's the perpetrator or the survivor is a prominent figure in the community. Um, The media picks up on those cases and they, they kind of follow them from start to finish. Um, so unless they publish it, um, or broadcast that information, it is always public record. Um, mycase.in.gov, mycase.in.gov, um, is the website where an individual, um, can look up, um, criminal cases. Um, you won't always be able to click on documents and read the documents in their entirety, but you, the docket and the court record is public record.
0: So you mentioned the media and how they kind of sometimes pick up on certain sexual assault cases. What exactly is their role in these cases? Like, for example, can they say they give a whole bunch of coverage to a certain case? By doing that, then can they impact the final conviction? They can most
2: certainly impact our ability to find a fair and impartial jury. Um, all of the jurors that come into a case... Um, We always inquire, have they heard anything about the case, Um, especially if it's something that's been highly publicized and there's been a lot of media or news attention. um, We need to know that in advance if they've heard or seen that information, but more importantly, have they formed any opinions based on that information. Um, And the goal of picking a jury is you're looking for individuals who can make a decision, guilty or not guilty, based on the information that they hear and see in the courtroom and the evidence that presented to them, not because they heard something on the news and they think he's probably guilty. So during jury selection, we weed that out as much as possible. Um, We'll find individuals who I remember seeing something on the news about it, but I I don't remember what I saw exactly, Um, or I read the article, but I I don't know anything more than that. I don't have any additional feelings on that. Um, it can make things difficult for the defendant, it can also make things difficult for the victim, especially if the victim is not wanting that type of attention. Um, so that can go both ways. I think that's why it's always also so important, we were discussing that yesterday, um, to have awareness and education of the public. Because again, if they buy into, like, gender stereotypes and victim blaming statements, um, that can cause them not to find that person guilty beyond a reasonable doubt, especially if they don't understand that, you know, you said that it had to be, uh, show of force. Um, and there's more to force than just physical force. And so some people much. don't understand that. And so I, much. Right. And or if they don't, like, understand what consent is, mm-hmm. which is a really big thing, I think, in like, our age group, mm-hmm. Or they don't understand if it's especially, um, a boyfriend-girlfriend relationship or a dating relationship. That maybe they don't understand.
0: Um, another question I have, you, we talked more about like education, how important it is. What exactly do you think that that should entail? Like, Should we be going into schools and educating kids? Should there be more media
2: attention? I think one thing that's important to educate people about is that this isn't a strange or danger type of situation. And um, I know there are a lot of prevention education programs um, focus towards children um, but I think it's also a broader community issue. Um, little things such as, that's our neighbor, they're a great friend, go give that person a hug. Um, teaching children, teaching teenagers, teaching adults that your body is yours and giving them some body autonomy. You, This person may not be a hugger, they may not like hugs. So don't force them to be in a situation where they're hugging, Um, and normalizing saying no to that kind of touching, um, because hugs can turn into a great deal more, Um, and being able to uh, set boundaries that are acceptable boundaries and that are valid boundaries and recognized boundaries. So educating people that they can set these boundaries and trying to normalize that, Um, I think there are a lot of things that probably happen that um, could be a trigger for a victim or survivor especially, but you and I might not think of it as a trigger because that's something we deal with every day, shaking someone's hand or a kiss on the cheek, those kinds of things, just normalizing um, consent, normalizing boundaries, and accepting those boundaries and taking them as they are. Mm
1: -hmm. Completely
2: agree.
1: Yeah, that is a really great point. Um, So before we wrap up, is there anything else you would like to add?
2: I would say um, not to be discouraged or disheartened. Um, I know reporting and pursuing charges can seem like an uphill battle, and it absolutely is. And it's a complete roller coaster of emotions um, as the case pens. But if that's something that's important to you, um, then by all means proceed. Um, I am in my cases as long as my survivors are in my cases. Um, they've had a great deal of control taken away from them, um, whatever the circumstance of their, their assault was. Um, and it's hopefully a way for them to gain some more control um, and to find whatever peace or resolution um, that they need to find some sort of closure. Um, but I've, I'm a firm believer that what goes around comes around um, in this lifetime or another uh, it happened. So um, for any individuals out there who are struggling, um, I can promise you, you are not the only person that has experienced something like this. Um, there's a whole community out there um, of survivors who have experienced the same thing or something similar. And you are more than deserving and worthy of help and treatment or a friend or just a shoulder to cry on if that's what you need. So please reach out, um, you are not alone and there are a million and one people who are out there um, and their job and their life's work is to help you. Mm-hmm. Oh, I have a question for you. Yeah, um, so do you, do you find that in most of your cases, um, your client or the survivor has a, uses the services of an advocate? I have quite a few with Albion. Um, with the, with the younger ones, um, I wish, I wish they did. It's a difficult dynamic, um, with the younger individuals. Um, I never thought when I took this caseload that I would be so upset with moms and parents, um, who are not supportive of their children or who don't believe their children, Um, and Department of Child Services can only step in so far and can only provide, you know, and they can refer people to services. They can refer kiddo to counseling, mom to counseling, but it's ultimately up to mom to take kiddo. Um, And oftentimes I've also kind of seen kiddo is not getting all of the support or services that they need but mom also has her own set of issues. Uh, And in some cases um, that I've had, mom was a victim as well. And in some cases, mom was a victim of the same perpetrator. So there's a whole other dynamic going on there. Um, But quite a few do have advocates, um, particularly with Albion, to help them navigate through not only the criminal process, just the broader process of how do I move forward. And there is a, a victim's rights law that there is. Absolutely there is. <laughs> I know there is, but there um, is yeah, um, a little bit on that. It's not as beefy as I would like it to be. Um it's certainly not as thorough or as robust as um, any statutes or laws that provide defendants with rights. Um, but a victim has the right to be notified of a plea agreement before it's filed. They have a right to be notified of the terms of that plea agreement. They have a right to speak at sentencing um, when that case is resolved. Um, individuals choose to do that. Individuals choose not to do that. It's That's a personal decision, but they do have a right to be notified of how the case is resolved. Um, And speak to the court before that resolution goes through
0: well thank you so much for sharing your time with us miss hall and thank you guys so much for listening to another episode of a pinch of prevention as always our mission is to uplift the voices of teens by providing them with opportunities to advocate for their communities and themselves and again if you are experiencing or have experienced any form of abuse do not hesitate to contact the National Domestic Abuse Hotline. The number is 1-800-799-7233. Uh, you can also contact Rain, the Rape and Incest National Network, and their number is 1-800-656-HOPE. And lastly, if you are in the southwestern Indiana area, Albion Fellows Bacon Center is our local rape crisis center, and their number is 812 422 5622.
1: Thank you so much for listening. And as
0: always, stay tuned for more ingredients of change.